Not sure if you've heard, guys, but Trump is president. Uh, up is down. News is fake. So is art. Experts are useless. Hey, welcome to Double Speaking, a podcast exploring double speak. That is deliberately euphemistic, ambiguous, or obscure language. I've got six episodes for you, and I'll be in conversation with colleagues, friends, and yep, some experts about research, ideas, and the power of words. In this first episode, I'm chatting to Rachel O'Neill. Rachel is a research fellow at the University of York, and she writes on gender, intimacy, and culture. Today, we discuss, amongst other things, rainbow bowls. Didn't even know what those were until Rachel kindly told me. And, of course, deliciously, Ella. Google her if you haven't yet. Uh, You definitely don't want to miss this episode. Stay tuned. Rachel, what's our word for today? Our word for today is clean. Clean. So when I think of the word clean, I immediately think of its opposite. Dirty. If we would associate for a second, what kinds of words would we associate with this? Do you have the same initial reaction as I do? I do, I do. I think that it's a word that really readily calls to mind all of its opposites, all of its antonyms. So it's it's dirty, it's soiled, polluted, those kinds of words. So I think in a way those come to mind more readily than than the kind of other words that you would you could associate with clean so pure fresh natural those kinds of terms untouched okay so this is interesting and surely something we have to try and probe (laughs) can we talk a bit about the context in which we'll discuss it today Mm -hmm. so for you what is interesting about the word clean right now so i'm interested in the way that clean is being associated to various kinds of dietary regimes to lifestyle formation. So this idea of, of clean eating or eating clean is something that I'm, I'm interested in now at the moment. And where are you seeing this? I've seen it in certain places, especially social media. Yeah. So is that where it has its particular force or where you're seeing it now being associated with this kind of, well, these kinds of lifestyle movements? Absolutely. Definitely social media and particularly Instagram. So on Instagram, the the hashtag clean eating has garnered in and around 25 million uh, posts. So it's it's amassing a huge amount of of momentum on, on sites like Instagram. So we're seeing it there. And people who are engaging in this tend to be... Um, I think it's primarily young women, but there's definitely a subset of younger men who are who are using this as well. Um, although the kind of aesthetic that they're cultivating might be might be rather different. And the other place that we're seeing it, uh, this term clean eating, um, is really in the mainstream media, particularly in in news media and magazines. And while the term maybe was initially met with with you know some kind of some good feeling, it was kind of a new dietary fad. It very quickly became a source of total opprobrium, and it's something that is is really reviled. Um, there have been all sorts of op-eds and various kinds of opinion pieces and, and other things um, about about what a terrible uh, terminology this is, about how it's a it's a cover up for all sorts of other problems such as eating disorders, all these kinds of things. So even though it was kind of initial initially met. Um, you know, with some popularity, and it's definitely got a popular presence on, on social media sites, it is something that is, is almost universally reviled, it seems, by media commentators, by mainstream media commentators. So people like Hadley Freeman have written a lot about this in The Guardian. We've also seen established food uh, writers such as Jay Rayner and Nigel Lawson have jumped on this. Um, Jay Rayner has been particularly evangelical in his 
um, condemnation of, of clean eating, as well as the particular young women figures, it must be said, who are associated with clean eating. So this is, these are the two spots that I think we're seeing it. We're seeing it in social media, but we're also seeing it discussed in the mainstream media, almost universally negatively, I would say, in the, in the latter case. And what's so interesting about that is there seems to be an echo with our word association at the beginning. Yes. So as quickly as it is becomes propagated and connected with clean living, clean lifestyles, clean eating as a kind of a set of positive associations, there is a very almost immediate backlash and then a kind of a, a reinstating of all of those negative connotations in a, an, another connected sphere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. So can we talk or just drill down a little bit into what those associations are on social media? So what does clean eating or living look like? Are there a, are there a set of images or aesthetics yeah. that are widely shared across those you know, millions of posts? Absolutely. If you're looking at those posts, I think what you'll see a lot of will be, first of all, body shots. So uh, selfies that, have, that people are taking of themselves and particularly on the body. And the body part that seems to be most focused on in particular will be, will be the abs, will be the torso. Other kinds of shots you'll see will be yoga poses, particularly in city scenes. So kind of the contrast of the, the yoga body um, in a kind of, you know, in an urban setting, not necessarily in a gym. Or by contrast, you'll see the yoga body on, on the beach, something like this. Other posts you'll see, and perhaps the most pervasive, will be pictures of food, not surprisingly. And these will particularly be bowls, uh, the so-called Buddha bowl is a very popular one, uh, rainbow bowls, these kinds of things. Uh, really colorful pictures of meals that consist mostly of, of plants. That This is a plant-based form of, of eating. It's a plant-based diet. So a lot, of, a lot of images of food. That's definitely what you'll be seeing on, on social media. And so I assume simply by the presence of the like green plant-based rainbow bowl all the other things that aren't that are what would be seen to be negative right like uh i don't know carbs meat well it's interesting because it's it's not something that's really clearly defined it's it's a term that Clean eating is used by a number of different people to refer to their own particular approach to, to eating and to lifestyle. But what that means to individuals really varies massively. For, so for some people that will be uh, grain-free, gluten-free. For some people that will be um, also vegan or vegetarian. For some people that will mean uh, cutting out uh, refined sugar. For some people it means uh, an emphasis on avoiding processed foods, this kind of thing. So what it actually means varies enormously between individuals. But there's a there's an idea that it's it's somehow kind of intuitive, as this, as though we all know obviously what is what is clean and, and, and what is not. Okay, I see. Interesting. So there's a sense that um, there's a human nature element to it, or it's just instinctual. You know it when you see it. Yeah. If you are a kind of a yeah. Absolutely. If the you're idea an that of, of course an apple is clean, but a Snickers is obviously dirty or, or non-clean. Yeah. Um, I think those are kinds of some of the pervasive assumptions. Yeah. Okay. So then, can you say a bit more about why you are interested in it? What What do you think this means right now? in terms of its popularity and how does it relate to your research and your interests? Well, it's something that I'm interested in as part of a wider project that I'm doing. So I've, I've recently started a postdoc at York and the, the postdoc is really looking at new cultural politics of food. And clean eating is, is one trend within that that I'm interested in. It's one that's really interesting in terms of gender. It's also very interesting in terms of class. 
it picks up nicely on some previous research that I've done on ideas of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial subjectivity, but is also opening up some new areas for me in terms of ideas about aesthetic labor, uh, aspirational labor, these kinds of things. So, so that's the kind of wider focus that I'm, I'm taking with it. I'm interested in wellness industries, and clean eating is really one part of that. It's, it's one particular area of that. And I mean, you mentioned at the very beginning that many or most, I know it's a kind of a heterogeneous movement, but that many people posting or talking about clean eating are young women, although there's maybe a subset of aesthetics that are slightly different associated with men. Mm -hmm. Can you say a bit more about these, these gendered dynamics or what you think is interesting here? Yeah. Well, my, I mean, the way that I came to, to, to know about clean eating, I definitely thought it was a very heavily feminized sphere. Um, I've learned through subsequent conversations and for the research that there is a kind of a different kind of shoot off, offshoot of that that is, is highly masculinized. But that's clean eating in that context is really tied to very, very high protein diets, high, and it's really tied to amassing huge levels of, of muscle content. With, with women, the focus tends to be different. It is more about cultivating a lean physique that is, that is, that is kind of hard, but not necessarily highly muscled or highly mus muscular. Um, so there's, there's a difference in the aesthetic, which is, which maps onto a really conventional, uh, distinctions between masculine, masculinity and femininity, masculine and feminine bodies. Mm. I also wondered then as you were talking about, what other things refract through this? So is, is ethnicity also something you're interested in here or class? You know, are these also mapping onto the images, mm -hmm. who, who you see and who you don't see in relation to the clean lifestyle? Absolutely. I mean, I think the people who are most closely associated with uh, clean eating and it's not necessarily an association that they themselves would support because because the term has become so reviled by the wider media It's a term that a lot of people who were at one point associated with it are now trying to, to remove themselves in some way But the people who are associated with the term nonetheless include people like deliciously Ella uh, blogger author entrepreneur um, also the Hemsley sisters Hemsley and Hemsley these are the kinds of people that, associate, that are associated with it. These are white, middle to upper middle class individuals. And they're, they're definitely coming from a very particular kind of social sphere. But in terms of the appeal, I'm not yet sure exactly who this appeals to. And it's something that I think does need further research because I'm not necessarily convinced that this is something that only has middle class appeal. I think that it's li likely to have a far wider appeal, particularly because it recenters the body the female body as a site of women's entrepreneurship and capital. And that's really important to think about more seriously in times of economic austerity. Interesting. Yeah. And I, this is what I wondered is, is if you see that there is a particular potency to this term and the way that it is being used in these white broader economic times. So you're tying it there to, to austerity and austerity politics mm -hmm. is for you that potentially where the power of the term and its associations lies. It might. I mean, I think that that really might be part of it. I mean, there is a kind of a romance that's attached to austerity as much as it's decried in certain sections of the media and in the public sphere. There's also in the UK, a certain kind of romance attached to that idea of, of, of striving and of kind of suffering through things, uh, the kind of keep calm, carry on logic that has become pervasive in, in the austerity landscape and the cultural landscape. So I think there is maybe a way that there's a resonance there between the idea of, of clean and kind of buckling down. Interesting. 
I feel like we're moving towards what this word kind of hides and or reveals to us. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if we can probe that a bit more. In a way, I also want to come back to what we said at the beginning about how when we even think of clean, we immediately think of its opposites and antonyms. Yes. And, and that seems tied to potentially what it might be revealing to us and what it hides. Yeah. What about for you? Do you see it has particular revealing potential or, or the opposite? <laughs> I mean, I think in the media, the debates around it have really been in relation to the idea that clean is, is a kind of morally loaded term. And that's the reason that a lot of people have, have come out against it and come out against clean eating and, and these kinds of ideas by saying that it's unnecessarily moralizing food. And definitely there's, there's one aspect of that. As we've said, it's a term that readily calls to mind its antonym. So it calls to mind the idea of, of, of dirt and dirtiness, the idea that some things are clean and some things are not. But in terms of what the, the power of the word is and, and why it has such an appeal, I think this is something that we need to think about more carefully than has been, has been done so far in the media. And I think that what's really important is the promise of wellness. The promise, yeah, I mean, it has a kind of an intuitive appeal because who, who wouldn't want to be well? Who wouldn't want to feel well? But there's, and you know, it, maybe it points to an idea, kind of underlying idea that maybe all is not well. There's a kind of sense of a wider sense of malaise um, that it's that it's tapping into as well. We know that there are real and legitimate concerns that people have about contemporary food production. You know, that has been highlighted in recent years with the the horse meat scandal, these kinds of things. So there are genu genuinely legitimate concerns that this kind of a, a term is tapping into. But what I wonder is if the term and the kind of the whole rhetoric of clean eating, the whole kind of idea doesn't really promise more than it can actually deliver because what's really being sold on these, on these blogs and these Instagram streams and in these books is not simply well-being. It's actually an almost preternatural sense of vitality, of vigorousness. You know, it's, it's this idea that we can feel amazing every day when actually there's so much that is outside of our control. We've got huge environmental concerns. We've got working conditions that are definitely impacting our health, that are definitely impacting our well-being. And those are collective issues. Those are collective issues that the kind of turn to interiority that something like clean eating presupposes might actually be diverting our attention away from. So Rachel, I'm putting you on the spot. Mm -hmm. Do you think this word clean as it's currently being used is doublespeak? I do. I do. I do think that it is doublespeak specifically in relation to, to ideas of, of health and well-being and in, in relation to eating. I think there are a number of reasons for this. So first of all, it's a very ambiguous term. It's used in a number of competing and contradictory ways to refer to different kinds of uh, dietary regimes. So it's something that it's kind of a, an empty signifier. We're able to project onto it what it is that we want, uh, for good or for bad. There's also the second reason that I would say that it does qualify as doublespeak is that there's such a strong rhetorical emphasis here on lifestyle and not diet. So there's an idea that you know, clean eating is not a diet. This is continually reiterated. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. And there's an, an idea that that's supposed to make it better. Um, that that's, that's something that, that we should be celebrating. And in a way, that again has a kind of an intuitive appeal. But what's really being marketed here is the idea that this clean eating should be a, a whole way of being, a whole way of, of living in life that is that's all encompassing and yet somehow effortless so there's an idea that it you know it's more sophisticated than a diet because a diet is simply you know slavishly adhering to all these kinds of rules and regulations whereas embracing a lifestyle is somehow seen as as better it's more sophisticated it's it's 
it's a it's a kind of higher state of being that we should be aiming towards. So I think it, I think for both those reasons, it certainly qualifies as double speak. And and the last reason that I would point to is that. This is something that is is very much about promoting consumerism. It's not about eating uh, or having less. It's actually promoting almost kind of hyper forms of consumerism in, in many ways. Rachel, thank you. Great. Thanks a lot for listening to the first episode of Double Speaking. Double Speaking is hosted by me, Bridget Connor, and supported by King's College London. Please do join us next week when I talk to Jamie Hakim about, amongst other things, Rihanna and Brittany. Yes. Rihanna and Brittany. And please let us know what you think of this show. Visit us at doublespeaking.com and leave us a comment. Uh, And do follow us on Twitter at doublespeaking. Uh, We'll see you next week.